0: virtual traveller and welcome to stories from law a monthly podcast that invites you to rewild yourself through story by exploring nature folklore and the stories it inspires my name is dawn nelson and i'm an author and professional storyteller for episode three of season three there was a tie between the dreadful wind and rain and a poultry offer and so i made the executive decision to go with a poultry offer It may amuse listeners to know, though, that I recorded the outdoor chat with the chickens for you during the tail end of Storm Arwen, so in a way, we did get the two themes combined in the end for this episode. For a poultry offer, I'm introducing you to my three pom-poms of peril, also known as bantam chickens. I'll be singing an amusing ballad about a fox out hunting for his dinner, talking about the folklore of geese, turkeys and chickens, and telling the epic story of Chanticleer and Partlet two dark and murderous chickens first though let me take you out to meet the girls hi girls how are you doing today if it wasn't too windy for you last night i going to give you a good clean out fresh straw in there so you stay warm okay clean your water and sort out your food here So uh, this month, on the podcast poll, we had a tie between a poultry offer and the dreadful wind and rain. So actually it's quite fitting that I'm out here today at the end of Storm Arwen cleaning out the chickens. because I have bantams at this time of year they get, uh, they get pretty cold because they're only really little. I need to make sure there's stuff in the things in the coop for them to be able to step up onto to keep, to keep themselves off the cold ground. And I also need to make sure that there's plenty of bedding and straw to keep them warm at night close the door we've also got an insulated blanket over the top of the coop. Yes, our are pampered poultry. So the other thing that we have to contend with at this time of year that isn't just the wind and the rain is uh, avian flu and at the moment these girls are in, just about to enter a lockdown because there have been cases of avian flu, there have been enough for the authorities to say that we need to keep our chickens inside to prevent the spread of avian flu. I think we can all empathise with that. I've just cleaned out the coop I've put fresh bedding in there and straw because I find the straw at this time of year helps to keep them a little bit warmer they like to make a nice good nest in there tend to take the straw away in the summer because it makes them more broody and when they're broody they don't lay eggs and these girls are unpredictable enough with their egg laying they will start around March and this year they abruptly stopped at the very beginning of October so I've had these girls about a year now. I adopted them from a friend, and I've got to know them quite well. We've got Hey Hey, who is a frizzle mottled blue bantam. She can be a little bit aggressive at times, shall we say. So best uh, to just leave Hey Hey to do her own thing. Chicoletta is a little more affectionate, um, and she will pretty much do anything for food. So Chickaletta is a smooth mottled, blue mottled Bantam. The head hen in the coop is a little red and she is um, a Cappuccino Millifleur Cross Frizzle Bantam. So as you can imagine, they look like small, round, fluffy pom-poms. And in the summer, we call them pom-poms de peril because they are definitely... A lot more lively in the summer, a lot more noisy. You may just hear a few little happy noises about the corn but that's about it at this time of year. In the summer they're telling me all about how they've laid eggs, how they want to go out and generally having little squabbles as to who is head hen in the coop. In the main uh, these girls are fairly pampered poultry and like I say we are just about to enter um, a lockdown for avian flu. These girls will have to stay in for a bit but they have got a pretty big coop I can stand up in it. It is about six seven foot long and about three foot wide so they've got plenty of room for the size of the chickens that I've got and they're, they're happy. So that's all you can ask. Happy hens. isn't it? It is! not it its you got your corn there. I'll keep you warm at night. There you go. So they are fed on layers pellets and I mix in grit with that uh, because um, the grit helps them to digest things, to digest their food because hens don't have teeth. And uh, I also give them a good uh, helping of corn each day, especially in the winter because of corn. But it's like chicken, it's like chicken chocolate basically. It's got a lot of fats in it. So um, it helps them in the winter to stay warmer. And that's what these girls need at the moment. Especially as I'm sure you can hear, the end of storm Arwen pulling at the tarpaulin which keeps the rain out for them I know it doesn't look like another chicken. I know it doesn't look like a human. It's just my audio recorder. Yes, little red, right. there's no need to join in. Mm-hmm. Oh, a fox jumped up one winter's night and he begged the moon to give him light for he'd many, many miles to trot that night before he reached his den. Oh, den oh, den oh, he had many miles to trot that night before he reached his den. The first place he came was a farmer's yard, with the ducks and the geese declared it hard That their nerves should be shaken and the rest so marred by a visit from the fox, oh, fox, oh, fox, so oh, fox, oh, that their nerves should be shaken and the rest so marred by a visit from the fox, oh. So he took a grey goose by the neck and he swung it right across his back. The grey goose cried out quack, 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 with his legs a dangling down, oh. Down, oh, down, oh, the grey goose cried out, quack, 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 with his legs a-dangling, down, oh. Then old mother slipper-slopper jumped out of bed, and out the window she popped her head, saying, John, John, the grey goose is gone, and the fox is away to his den, oh. Den, oh, den, oh, saying, John, 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 the goose has gone, and the fox is away to his den, oh. So John ran up to the top of the hill and he blew his whistle loud and shrill said the fox that's pretty music still I'd rather be back in my den oh den o den o said the fox that's pretty music still I'd rather be back in my den oh so the fox went back to his hungry den and his dear little foxes eight nine ten. They said good daddy you must go there again and bring such cheer from the farm o Farmo farm o They said good daddy you must go there again and bring such cheer from the farm o So the fox and the wife without any strife said they never ate better goose in their life. They did very, very well without a fork or a knife and the little ones picked at the bones, oh, bones, oh, bones, oh. They did very, very well without a fork and a knife and the little ones picked at the bones, oh. I hope you enjoyed that ballad. It's called The Hungry Fox and it was collected by Stephen Roud as number 131. I think it's a great little song and it reminds me a lot of the story that Roald Dahl wrote called Fantastic Mr Fox. If you are not yet familiar with Fantastic Mr Fox then I would correct that immediately. It's a fantastic story. But let's get back to the poultry that Mr Fox is concerned with. According to the Countryside Companion, the raising of chickens was once the domain of the housewife. It was the tradition that the eggs and meat she sold at local markets provided extra income to spend, now this is a direct quote from the book, on personal adornment or some household embellishment. Like I say, that's a direct quote from the book and is certainly not my opinion. I suspect what actually happened and what was far more likely was that the income she gained from the eggs and the chicken, well, they supplemented the household income and were a vital source of extra income for the whole family. Of course, there are a lot of backyard chicken keepers today, but serious commercial poultry farmers produce on a much larger scale than, well, the backyard bantam keeper such as myself. And of course, you can be assured that my chickens are so unpredictable with their laying that they are unlikely to provide me with enough eggs to make omelettes for three for tea, never mind personal adornments, as noted in the Countryside Companion. No, my chickens are definitely kept more for sentimental value as pets rather than any kind of fiscal value. But the commercial poultry industry in the UK is thriving, If you care to peruse the United Kingdom Poultry and Poultry Meat Statistics for January 2018, published by the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, well, you will discover that in 2017, British farmers raised 3.8 million laying chickens, over 101 million chickens for meat, and the total UK poultry meat production was 182.2 thousand tonnes. That... Is a lot of chicken and turkey. So it's clear that many of us in this country enjoy chicken and turkey as food, but what else do these feathered friends mean to us? Predominantly, chickens have always been a sign of fertility, of the spring and of new life. The Easter chick, which is still in abundance today, is a well-loved symbol. The fluffy, yellow, wobbly-legged youngster brings us a reminder each year of the precious nature of life arriving with the spring. However, there is a more sinister side to chickens, cockerels in particular. Cockerels have a particular significance in folklore. One crowing at daybreak drives away ghosts and evil spirits. And there's actually an example of this in a classical piece of music called Dance Macabre, which is by French composer Camille Sanson. In this piece of music, the violins represent skeletons rising from the graves and dancing in a whirlwind of, well, dancing. And they do this until, towards the end of the piece, an oboe crows like a cockerel, and then the skeletons must return to their graves. The cockerel crowing isn't always a good thing, though. In fact, most of the time, it is a harbinger of death or illness. And a cockerel crowing on doomsday in particular will raise the dead rather than sending them back to their graves. The only night that it is considered lucky that the cockerel crows is Christmas Eve, which of course coincides with that magical time when the animals of the farm can speak. And if you are very lucky and listen to them, well, they may tell you where there is treasure buried. But that, my friends, is a story for another day. If cockerels are sat on a church spire, then they act as a protector. And if a cockerel is crowing at your door, it indicates there will be guests arriving. So there are some circumstances where it might not mean death and doom. In some local legends, it was believed that a male chicken could lay an egg. If this happened, the egg would be incubated and hatched by a toad, and from it a cockatrice would be born. A cockatrice, for those not in the know, is a winged serpent with a cockerel's head. It can kill you with one look, or with its poisonous breath. Either way, it's not a nice way to go, and this depends on the legend that you're reading. There is a very famous example of this mythical being, though, in the legend of the werewolf cockatrice in Hampshire, which is not actually far from where I live. As a chick, the werewolf cockatrice was considered a novelty and adopted by the good burghers of Werewolf Village, until they discovered that the animal had a taste for human flesh and none could kill it for fear of being killed themselves. They trapped it in the church crypt and it was eventually thwarted by an ingenious young man who placed a mirror in the crypt so that the cockatrice beat itself to death fighting with its own reflection. In other dark folklore, a cockstride is a measure of distance, a very small distance, and it's used not only when referring to the returning or dwindling of the light as the wheel turns each day, but also when referring to a specific type of ghost. This is a cockstride ghost. A cockstride ghost is a soul which has been doomed to walk hell or purgatory and may only find rest by rising once a year to move forward a cockstride. Over many years, once they have reached their destination, then they will be freed from the liminal space in which they dwell. But as you can imagine, a cockstride is not a very large distance and, well, it's going to take them a long time. If crowing roosters were hit and miss as to whether or not they brought good omens, well, you'll be in no doubt that a crowing hen is not good news. The rhyme goes, a whistling woman and a crowing hen brings the devil from his den. That explains why I used to get told not to whistle as a child. Joking aside, though, this does show how these pieces of folklore are still with us today. We might not think it will raise the devil, per se, but many people still think that women whistling is not dignified. I'm a pretty good whistler, and I still occasionally get surprised or even disapproving looks if the whistle is, well, shall we say, too tuneful. But let's get back to chickens. The medieval beastry, reproduced by Richard Barber, suggests that hens are symbols of divine wisdom. But in language, that's not always the case. When using the word chick these days, it's often derogatory or perhaps referring to something of little value. For example, the phrase chicken feed. If you are a chicken, chicken chicken-livered or chicken-hearted, then you are a coward. But believe you me, whoever associated chickens with cowardliness had not come across many chickens when they are broody. There's nothing cowardly in the assault that ensues when you try and remove their eggs, that's for sure. The use of the name to refer to cowardly behaviour is further borne out by a phrase that arose in the mid-90s. The phrase was chicken run. And this referred to an MP who was sitting in a marginal seat, but who chose to move to a safer seat just before an election. According to Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, this specifically referred to Conservative MPs in 1997 who moved from an unsafe seat to a safe seat in preparation for the upcoming election. For those of you who were around at the time may remember, this election ended up being a landslide victory for the Labour Party. And so it was that the phrase chicken run went down in history. Other phrases are to count one's chickens, or no spring chicken, or chickens coming home to roost. And these are all phrases that we still use today. The first phrase refers to not getting ahead of yourself, or thinking you've won or finished your task before you actually have. The second refers to someone's age, and the third, in a nutshell, or should that be an eggshell, refers to karma. But far from considering chickens stupid or cowardly, Our Iron Age ancestors worshipped them as sacred animals. Later, the Romans then carried them into war in order to determine how the battle would go. The chickens were kept in cages and a palatius would be assigned to look after them. So how did they determine how the battle would fare for them? Well, if the chickens ate up their food with no problems, things would go well. If they did not, well, things would go not so well. This did not always work out so great for the chickens. One unsuspecting flock met a watery grave when a Roman general did not like what they had predicted and threw them overboard into the sea, stating that if they would not eat, perhaps they would like to drink. If chickens are in the main considered cowardly, well, then it can be said of their cousin the goose that many consider it to be aggressive and ignorant. In fact, the phrase goose is often used to refer to somebody who may be considered to be lacking in intelligence, perhaps. The goose is, of course, known for its ferocity with good reason and makes an excellent alternative to a guard dog. In fact, I remember not that long ago visiting a friend uh, at his place of work on a local farm and one of the geese actually chasing our car off the site. Yep, geese should not be messed with. This was also noted as a trait of geese in the medieval bestiaries. In weather law, the goose can be an indicator of weather to come, And the saying goes, wild geese, wild geese, ganging to the sea, good weather will it be. Wild geese, wild geese, ganging to the hill, the weather it will spill. Another poem claimed you could tell from the way a goose held itself whether or not it would rain. So when rain raineth and the goose winketh, little knows the gosling what the gosling thinketh. Sounds like more of a riddle to me, but perhaps it was a little like what I was told as a child, that when a cow is sitting down in a field, it meant it was going to rain. It's a similar sort of weather law. In Irish legends, the barnacle goose is sometimes referred to as the tree goose, as it was said to have come from a willow tree growing on the Orkney Isles. The geese are said to hatch from perfectly round balls, which develop at the end of the tree's branches, and then drop from the tree into the sea, where the goose then hatches. For a long time, this meant that geese were thought to actually be fish. In Norse mythology, the goose is considered sacred and was used as a grave offering. This was possibly because of its great migration journey, because to our ancestors, the geese disappeared, perhaps to another world, making them potentially able to communicate with the realm of the dead and carry souls across into another world. Whilst the wild geese flew across the world, domestic geese were also once plentiful and farmed and traded in large quantities. Goose fairs were held around Michaelmas at the end of September and roast goose was considered to be the ultimate Michaelmas treat. The most famous of these goose fairs was the Nottingham Goose Fair where hundreds of geese would be driven by foot from Lancashire to Nottingham to be sold at the fair. This goose fair still lives on to this day but is now more of an annual fun fair and this has actually happened to many of the traditional livestock fairs in the UK Many of them are now funfares rather than markets to trade livestock. Not only was the goose favoured on Michaelmas Day, but it was so prolific that it was the standard for those in the lower classes to eat it for Christmas dinner. Turkey was reserved for the upper classes. This is also evident in Charles Dickens' famous tale, A Christmas Carol. In the story, you will note that when Scrooge is taken to see the spirit of Christmas present, he sees Bob Cratchit and his family sitting around the table for their Christmas meal and on the table is a small roast goose. At the end of the tale, when Scrooge sees the error of his ways, he sends a small boy to buy an enormous turkey in order to reward Cratchit for all his hard work and start to make recompense for Scrooge's neglect. So as you can see, the turkey replaces the goose. These days though, it seems to be reversed, with a goose in the UK costing up to 50% more than a turkey depending on where you buy it from. Supply and demand in action there, perhaps, as fashions change. This can also be seen, of course, in the humble lobster. Now it's considered a luxury food, whereas many years ago it would have been a food for peasants. So let's get back to the humble turkey and discover how it has fallen from grace to feed the masses. The turkey is not an indigenous species to the UK, although technically neither are chickens for that matter. Chickens were thought to have been brought here by the Phoenicians in the late 8th century BC. But, well, back to turkeys, like I say. Turkeys arrived in Britain much later, almost 2,500 years later, with a Yorkshireman named William Strickland in 1526. Wild turkeys are, of course, indigenous to Mexico, and they were first domesticated by Native Americans. However, the turkey soon became prolific in Europe when in 1511 the King of Spain ordered that every Spanish ship returning from the New World should have with them five pairs of turkey. Unfortunately, due to the destruction of habitat, the wild turkey is no longer found in New England. The Pueblo Indians never actually ate the turkeys they farmed. For these people, the turkey was sacred and the feathers would have been used for many, many purposes. Also... Like the goose for the Norsemen, turkeys for the Pueblo people would sometimes have been buried as a grave offering. It is thought that the feathers were able to transport the soul back to earth before they then travelled to their eventual resting place. Furthermore, the turkey, like the goose, is also thought to be able to predict the weather and becomes restless before a storm, apparently. So as you can see, there are a few parallels to be drawn between the folklore and mythology of these three birds. There is much more I could mention, but that would make an epic episode, as is so often the case for many of the subjects this podcast covers. So instead, let us return to the chickens for a story. As most chicken keepers will tell you, chickens have very distinct personalities. This is certainly so for my three, as I explained at the beginning of the podcast in our chicken chat. In fact, one of the stories in my anthology, Adventures in Nature, tells the story of three chickens named Stayput, Comfort and Roma. I wonder if you can work out what that story's about. But anyway, that's not the story that I'm going to tell you. You can find that one in the aforementioned book. Today, I want to tell you the story of some very gregarious and charismatic chickens named Chanticleer and Partlet. Chanticleer and Partlet are a rooster and a hen, respectively, and they appear in three of the stories in the Grimm Brothers collection. These stories are A Pack of Ragamuffins, Mr Corbs, and The Death of Little Red Hen. They are slightly strange, surreal stories in which the poultry pair commit all sorts of crimes, and, well, they are regular thugs of fairy tale. Their stories are very short, and so I've combined all three of the stories into one so that I can tell you the complete adventures of Chanticleer and Partlet. One fine day, a rooster named Chanticleer turned to his hen. Partlet, he announced, "'Today is the day that we should go gathering nuts, "'for they are all ripe,' he croaked, "'and we should gather as many as we can "'before the greedy squirrel eats them all.' The pair made their way towards the hill where the nut trees stood, and they ate until they were as round as walnuts. As they lay there in the afternoon sun, Chanticleer decided that they should not have to walk home again, and insisted that he would build them a carriage out of the nutshells that they had left behind after their feast. Once the carriage was complete, he stood back to admire his handiwork, and Partlet hopped onto the little nut seat. This is splendid, Chanticleer, she clucked. Now all you need to do is harness yourself to the front and take us home. Well, that's a fine idea, Partlet. Why should I do that? Why should you not do it? As the two were arguing, a duck approached and saw the fat fowl and the empty nut shells strewn about them, and he quacked at them. "'Who gave you permission to eat the nuts from my tree?' he shrieked. The duck then ran at them, beak snapping, eyes gleaming. Chanticleer was not slow in his retaliation and soon had the duck wounded and bloody with his spurs, begging for mercy.' Chanticleer and Partlet then harnessed the hapless duck to the nut carriage and whipped the duck with a pine needle until the duck ran as fast as it could, pulling the carriage along the road. There were many travellers that day that Chanticleer and Partlet did meet, but it was a pin and a needle who begged for a ride, as they had stayed too late in the local tavern and it would be dark soon, and this had them afeared for their own safety. Chanticleer and Partlet concessed as they were only slim individuals and could easily fit in the carriage with them. As night was falling, they arrived at a coaching inn and released the duck from his harness. They all entered together, Chanticleer, Partlet, the duck, the pin and the needle. At first, the innkeeper complained that he did not have room for such a pack of ragamuffins. But, well, Chanticleer soon charmed him with the promise of a fresh egg from Partlet in the morning and the duck, which he could keep and do with as he wished. The fowl feasted, drank and made merry well into the night and early in the morning Chanticleer woke Partlet up and they feasted on her egg for breakfast. Then they took the needle and placed it on the landlord's chair and they then put the pin into the little towel that was hung beside the landlord's basin in his room. They then flew off and the sun was still rising, crowing and cackling as they went. The duck, heard them leave and rejoiced that her captors had left and she went down to the stream and made good her own escape. When the landlord of the tavern finally awoke, he had a nasty surprise as he dried his face on the towel and the pin scratched him making tracks down his cheeks. He went into the parlour expecting his egg for breakfast and he lit his pipe throwing the match into the hearth but it flicked the eggshell that was in the fireplace into his eyes, causing him to stagger backwards and sit heavily in the old chair where the needle assaulted his rear cheeks. In a terrible fury, he searched the house for the rooster and then the hen, but alas, they were long gone, and he vowed from that day never to take in a pack of ragamuffins again, no matter how sweet the bargain he was offered. So now, if you pass an inn called the cock inn, well, now you know what happened there. And so it is that we leave the landlord, sore and out of pocket, and again rejoin Chanticleer and Partlet in their adventures. They had enjoyed the carriage so much that Chanticleer had now created them a little carriage out of wood and painted it a jolly red colour. They harnessed half a dozen mice to pull the carriage, and now it flew faster than they ever could. On this particular day, they were travelling along a road to visit Herr Corbs' house, Dear reader, I'm not quite sure what business they had with Herr Korbs, but when they met a cat along the way who asked to join them, well, Chanticleer said hop up, thinking that this cat may come in handy. It was a busy road that day and soon a millstone, an egg, a duck, a pin and finally a needle joined them in the carriage. When they finally arrived at Herr Korbs's house, they found the house empty and so they made themselves at home. Chanticleer and Partlet flew onto a pole that was standing in the yard, the cat sat down in the fireplace, the duck in a bucket full of water, the egg rolled itself up into a towel, the pin stuck itself into a chair cushion and the needle jumped onto the bed and stuck itself in the middle of a pillow. The millstone lay down just above the door. When Herr Corbs returned, his house guests were not at all welcoming. The cat flicked ashes in his face so he ran to the kitchen to wash it from his eyes where he found the duck in the bucket who soaked him head to toe with water and when he went to dry himself with the towel, the egg broke and the sticky yolk clogged his eyes so he could not see where he was going. He sat down in the chair where he found a sharp pin and leapt up, bewildered by what was going on. He took himself off to bed, thinking it may be safer there, and on laying his head down on the pillow, he found himself stabbed with the needle. He ran out of the house, screaming at the calamities that had befallen him, whereupon the millstone leapt off the ledge of the door, falling on Herr Korbs and striking him dead." Listener, I do not know what Herr Korbes ever did to this little band, but whatever it was, it must have been very bad. Throughout this escapade, Chanticleer and Partlet watched on, the orchestrators of these events, perhaps. Well, once they had finished watching, they decided that the nut hill with the tree was a much safer and quieter place to be. And so, as soon as the sun rose for a third time, well, they headed back in the little carriage to the nut tree hill. On this occasion... The nuts were not so plentiful, and so they agreed that they would share whatever they found. But when Partlet found a large nut, she said nothing to Chanticleer of this find. Instead, so hasty was she to eat the nut that she started to choke. "'Run and fetch me water, dearest!' she spluttered at Chanticleer, who obliged and ran to the stream. "'I need water for Partlet so she does not choke,' Chanticleer crowed at the stream. "'Fine,' said the stream." but you must bring me some red silk from the village bride first. So Chanticleer ran and asked the bride for red silk, so he may give it to the stream, who would then give the water to the choking hen. Well, I will, but first you must bring me the wreath that hangs on the willow tree yonder, said the bride. And so Chanticleer ran to the willow and asked for the wreath, so that he may give it to the bride, so that she may give him red silk, so that he may give it to the stream, who would then give the water to his choking hen, Partlet. Thankfully, the tree did give the wreath to the rooster, but by the time he had finished running to the bride and then to the river, well, it was too late for his dear partlet, for she had died. Chanticleer was so distressed, he cried to the sky and all the animals gathered to mourn the loss of the little hen. He then placed her body in the red carriage pulled by the six mice and started to ride towards the farm where he would bury his beloved partlet. On the way, Chanticleer met a fox who asked... Where are you going, rooster? I'm going to bury my hen wife, sir, said the rooster. The fox asked to join him in the carriage and Chanticleer allowed it. Next a wolf joined them, a bear, a stag, a lion and soon all the beasts of the forest did the same. When they reached the stream they were unable to cross in the little carriage but a piece of straw lying nearby offered to help by laying himself across the water so that they may ride across him. Of course the straw broke under the weight and the mice fell into the river and drowned the little carriage was still intact so next a hot coal offered to help but the water washed the coal away before Chanticleer even had a chance to try and ride the carriage over it finally a stone offered its help and Chanticleer made it across with the body of his little hen wife he then went to bring the other animals across on the back of the carriage but well the weight was again too much and the stone sunk And the carriage overturned, and all the animals drowned in the river, leaving only Chanticleer and poor, dead Partlet. The story goes that Chanticleer then dug a grave for her beside that river and laid her in it. He made a mound above it on which he sat and fretted until he too died. And then, dear listener, well, the only thing that was left in this story is that everyone was dead. I hope you've enjoyed this episode feathered with poultry facts, lore and legend and the strange and frankly surreal stories of Chanticleer and Partlet. A big thank you to all those who left a review for me this month. I really very much appreciate it It helps to raise the profile of the podcast and help it to reach new ears and new souls to warm over on my Patreon this month. Amongst other things, there is an e-zine packed with alternative recipes for this Yuletide in order to give our poultry pals a bit of a break. It has some winter geese spotting tips in it, a little of the folklore of eggs and feathers, which I have not had a chance to touch on in this episode, and an exclusive questions and answers video answering some of your wonderful questions about my journey to storytelling and beyond. My patron is called Rewild Yourself Through Story and is focused on using story to reconnect with the land we live on and the nature within it. You can become a patron to benefit from a range of rewards and you can find the link in the show notes. As always, a big thank you to all of you who support the podcast in one way or another, either through Patreon, by listening, by sharing with your friends. All these things really help. Thank you. You can find me on Instagram as Didi underscore Storyteller, on Facebook as DDStoryteller, Storyteller, and on Twitter as Didi underscore Storyteller. I hope to see you there, as I'd love to tell you another story. Until then, I'll see you next time. Toodle-pip.